You are listening to the Photobomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm fine, and how are you? You seem odd. <laughs> I'm a little tired, to be honest with you. Um, I've been uh, burning it at both ends with the travel. I just got back from Shutterfest. Oh, that's right. Uh, you were in Shutterfest uh, doing a class in that space that uh, you've done that. You've done a class in that space before, right? I've seen pictures of you in this space. In the old Gothic corridor at yeah. St. Louis Union Station, yeah. It looks very, very cool, like a really cool place to be teaching a class with the arches it, it is, and, and stone. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful long corridor with beautiful window light and elaborate, you know, tile and archways and the whole place, Union Stations. It's just the coolest place for a conference. It's, I think that as far as photography conferences go, they've, Shutterfest has the coolest location for their conference. It's just very, very neat. But this uh, the Gothic Corridor is great, and I did a, a class on how to shoot a comp card, and you've got this long, beautiful area and beautiful window light, and I didn't use any of it. I bought a pop-up, <laughs> brought a pop-up background and <laughs> yeah. just used my, my strobes. Just to, so, anyway, so uh, yeah, it was a good time. I ran into a few uh, Photobomb listeners, which was great, uh, who came up and said hi. And so thanks to uh, Scott and Mike and Tabitha and uh, Bob and Dave, you guys uh, who all came up and let me know that you are listeners to the podcast. It was nice to see you guys at Shutterfest. So that was pretty cool. One of those people was actually a 20-something-year-old female. <laughs> really? I think, She's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got one, yeah. And you know what? It was actually funny because she's the daughter of a, a guy I know who is one of our listeners, uh, Mike Fox. And she said that uh, they, the, uh, she listens to it with her dad. And I okay. thought, I thought, is he making her listen to it with her dad? And then I thought of you making your daughters listen to it in the car with you. I don't make them listen. You can put your headphones on and listen to your own music. But I'm driving. I'm listening to what I want to listen to. If i got to take you to the mall, then I'm, at the very least I'm going to do is be able to entertain myself. So if I want to listen to the podcast, I'm listening to the podcast. You can deal with it. Fine, fine. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I don't disagree with that. I, I, uh, right now, we, we don't have headphones for our girls. They're too little, really. And they don't have their own devices because we haven't given them phones or iPads or anything. And uh, so we're basically – we are trapped in that. You get in the car and it's immediately – we're listening to something by Disney almost certainly. We've listened to a lot of Frozen. There was a study or something that just came out that said your child should have no screen time before the age of one. And between one and four, one hour a day. And I thought one hour a day – in my house, would never have made it. I was a stay-at-home dad. One hour a day. I mean, the Wiggles and Sesame Street were on a constant loop in my house when my kids were like two or three years old. Maybe I'm just a horrible parent. Yeah, I don't know. We have the TV on. We have the, we have a rule when the girls get up. Ellie has certain chores she has to get done every day. And it's like, make your bed, brush your teeth, you know, take your breakfast plate to the sink in the kitchen, stuff like that. There are five five things that she has to get done every day before she's allowed to watch tv or go to the park or anything and so yeah but she watches tv but most of the time it's on she's doing something else and she's not really interested in what's on the television right unless we sit down to have like a family movie night she's not really giving a crap about what's on the tv right right they never they don't just sit there and stare at it no it's always just kind of a background thing and they come back and forth to it oh elmo's doing something interesting or yeah she'll watch it if she's eating a meal like if she's eating a meal like she's having lunch 
She'll watch cartoons while she eats her lunch. The rest of the time, she's doing art projects, right. and you know, and she's painting or running around outside or playing in the garden. Like she's definitely like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you definitely should watch your kids' screen time as far as you know what they're doing. And you know, you you see people who, as soon as you go out, you know, they like they hand their kid a tablet, right? You know, because it's just it is uh, honestly it is. A hundred percent easier to just give them a tablet or a phone to play on rather than engaging them, rather than, you know, entertaining them in some other way. And I'm not a child psychologist or anything like that. But for us, we just sort of like we're going to try exhaust every other opportunity before we do that. The only <laughs> right. time we consistently give our kids screens to play with is when we get on a flight I'm somewhere. Say on a plane, yeah, on a plane. Because you have no choice. Right. There's no option. And I can't even imagine how terrible it must have been for parents before they had those. It's like a coloring book. What's a coloring yeah. book compared to an iPad, <laughs> you know? But so we load up the we load up the iPad with episodes of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and we just here you go. Boom. Enjoy. You got your own little over ear headphones that are uh, princess what's her nuts, and then here's the iPad, and, and you're good to go. Yeah, it is. It, it makes flying so much easier with kids. But hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog, diggity dog, that's hot right. dog. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I remember all those songs. Hey, uh, I broke my backdrop the other. I was shooting uh, headshots, and I have the X drop system. Uh huh. And here's what I discovered about the X drop. Uh, you know, you take the legs off of the X drop, do they come off? Right, yeah, yeah. So the, if you, you take, take the leg off, the one half, and then you pop the thing to make the leg shorter, and then you just turn it up so that it, the gravity just lets that leg come down, that leg can come down, smash right through the plastic part, and shoot straight through to the floor. And just, Aww. yeah. So, because here's the thing, the X-Drop system, you go, well, this is cheap. It's supposed to be cheap. It's supposed to be incredibly light. So everything in it is really thin, and the plastic is thin. It's a really light, you know, piece of equipment. It's designed to be that way, which means you have to really take care of it because it's not built to be beat up. So I, uh, right there, standing in the room after I realized I couldn't fix it in the in the gymnasium where I was doing the shots, I pulled my phone out, went to Amazon, ordered another one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Except it arrived. Oh God, I have so many things. I, I've just made. I have so many things I want to ask you about. Okay, a, I broke that. Okay, that's the story. B, um. You did a hands-on when you were teaching, right? Uh, no, it was a demo. It was a demo. Okay, that's my question. What do you think is better for people when they come and they're trying to learn? Do you think it's better for a live demo? A live demo is definitely better than a presentation. I think we all agree. But what's better, a live demo or a hands-on where they bring oh, their own man. cameras? You're going to get me on a. You're going to get me on a tangent. First of all. Uh, I'm usually at a conference working. I don't get to go to a lot of classes, but me personally, I prefer a lecture. Really? Yeah. Over, over a live. Over anything live. Okay, yeah, but, I prefer but what do you think your average? Because you're you're not average. I think it depends on your level. I think where you're at. I think new photographers love hands on. Like they love to crowd in with each other, give them a couple of models, set up lights and backgrounds, and just let them shoot their brains out. And they don't care if they're learning anything. They just want to shoot. Especially if you're teaching lighting. It's so hard to do. You're not giving anybody any benefit at all if you set the lighting up and say, here, come take a picture of this. I mean, if you really want to be hands-on, it's got to be great. Everybody pair off, and y'all are going to shoot each other and set up the lighting yourselves. And I'm going to come around and see what you're doing and help you tweak it or answer questions. I mean, to me, that's really hands-on. But do you ever really see that? Yeah, uh, not really. There are some smaller workshops and conferences where they do stuff like that. But most of the time, unless you have an instructor who's very experienced, I was just talking to one recently, a friend of mine from uh, the Midwest, Dan Rowe, a great senior portrait photographer. He does a really great 
hands-on and demo class. He's a really great instructor for that. Uh, you, the instructor has to really know how to manage the group. And if you've got the right instructor who's skilled in that, like I am, I prefer to lecture over demo or hands-on. I'm a much better teacher as a lecturer than I am as a uh, demo instructor or a hands-on instructor. That's my strength as an instructor. Some instructors aren't very great lecturers, but they're really good at demo and hands-on or really good at hands-on. For me, the educational value in almost every case with a hands-on class is much, much less at photography conferences because it ends up just sort of devolving into this free-for-all with a bunch of camera dorks all shooting the same model. And I'm just sitting back thinking like, what are you going to do with all those pictures? Because the guy right. and the girl next to you were getting the exact same thing as you. And, like, what's the point of doing that? Did you learn anything? And so I think demo is more uh, educational to watch a photographer. I, w- I love to watch a photographer do their thing. Like, set up the lights and shoot. You don't even have to talk to me. Just let me watch you do your See, work. See, I like to do a demo. Um, I, I'm, I'm back and forth on them. I, I like lecture because it's in some ways it's easier. Demo, you got to carry your gear with you. <laughs> you know, yes. you got to strap everything on. You got to do it. You got to put up or shut up, you know. But the thing about demo is you don't have to prepare as much. You know, I, with, with, with a live lecture, I got to prepare an hour and a half worth of slides and I got to have a pace and a flow to it. And I got to go from this step to with a demo. It's like, okay, I'm just, I can just, you know, it's all ad lib. You can just, you, you of can all just people do it. Who could just, you could just get up in front of people and talk. Yeah, exactly. Without- and that's what I, and with, so with a demo, that's, I've, I've done that where I came and spoke in Orlando one time and did not have any show presentation at all. You needed somebody last minute. You said, come teach bounce. I went, okay. I just came, set up, grabbed my equipment and said, okay, and just walked everybody through it. And that's easier for me to do, but now you got to carry your equipment with you, and 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 but it's because I'm supposed to be speaking at Imaging USA, and they said it's a hands-on class as opposed to demo. So uh, so people that means the that means attendees expect to be f- taking photos yeah, in the class. So yeah. and now I'm like, okay, so how does that work if you've got 20 people in the class and you're trying to teach them all how to do? Uh, bounce flash, I guess, break, like I said, I'll break them up. I'm like, oh, you two guys go right there, you two guys go over there, and I want you guys to shoot each other. And, you know, because the whole just coming up and taking pictures of my model is not going to help. Yeah, I, I don't, I totally, yeah, I, I really don't like that for the most part. It just has to be by an instructor who has a good sense of how to manage that. But me, I prefer teaching lecture, I prefer attending lecture, and in certain cases, I like to watch. But even then, you don't even have to tell me what you're doing. Just, I can figure it out just by watching you. You know, just just set up. Yeah, set but up that's a shot. you. That's you. Set up you a shot. A lot, and start shooting. Yeah, it. a lot of the people that you get at precon are people who you know they're they're right at the beginning of the journey. Yeah, it really depends on where you're at. So um, just just you know, you got to go through the phase as a photographer where you're just going to geek out with a camera and have fun. And the more you do it for an actual living, the more you time spending taking pictures and editing pictures where it actually you're doing it as your job, probably the less time you're going to want to spend running around taking photos when you're at a conference. Right. That's that's just that's just how it goes. But Shutterfest is pretty unique in that it's very like very shoot heavy. I mean, it's nuts, man, and they have a yeah, it's a totally totally unique sort of experience in a, in a unique crowd. It's definitely a cult. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Uh, that it's it's a but it's uh, it's fun. It's it's fun and unique, but man, it's exhausting cuz people stay up all night long they stay up all night long taking pictures you come out into the lobby at four in the morning there's going to be somebody out there taking pictures with a off-camera lighting and a woman in a parachute dress it's just just what they do (laughs) all i mean it's nuts and so uh, i'm exhausted and now i'm like we're we have to record this earlier than we normally do because tonight i'm getting on a plane and i'm flying to dallas because i'm teaching at texas school tomorrow and so like and i'm going then i come back and then julie goes to alaska for a week 
uh, and I've got the girls. And then uh, Julie comes back, and then a couple days after that, we fly to England. I'm teaching at the Newborn Photography Show uh, in Coventry, and I'll put information about all these on the Facebook page. And then when we come back, I think I'm good. I think I don't have to go anywhere for like a month. I actually get to work in my business, which will be really exciting. I will be on a prom cruise tomorrow a night. A prom cruise? Prom cruise tomorrow night, yes. So that's yeah. kind of interesting. It's a very small school, prom cruise. Oh, by the way, that was another thing. I ordered my X-Drop, and I ordered. Uh, I went ahead and ordered it with a green screen background, my first green screen. Hmm. Yeah. I was like, uh, you know, I've always, well, just to have it, you know, because I've, one of the things I've noticed about you is you sh- you'll shoot on white, and then you'll turn around and knock that white out a lot. Yeah. You'll decide that that white is not white enough, because I, when I'm doing headshots on white, uh, I'm almost always having to, what's the filter, what's, what's the slider there, uh, dehaze. Because in order to get the background wide enough, you always get a little too much reflected light coming back. Unless it all depends on the distance from the background, which I almost never have when I'm shooting. You never have location. that. No, you're in an office or something. You, they shove you in a broom closet or the snack room or mm-hmm. wherever, and a lot of times you don't have eight or nine or ten feet to light a high key background properly. Um, the answer to that is usually I see a lot of people use that. Uh, what is it? The Lastolite highlighter background. And it's basically like a it's a big pop up right. white background that you actually you put the lights in the sides and it sort of fills it up nice and evenly. It's pretty cool, but um, that those are like four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, and so no, not everybody. No, that's not going in my kit. Yeah, nobody's going to go out and buy. Not everybody, and you need two lights to light the background. Yeah, like you have to dedicate two strobes to make sure it lights evenly. Well, as much as as much as you knock out the background, have you ever thought about just shooting everything on green screen? Actually, you know what, green – I have a – with my – I have the um, the Glow 8 foot by 8 foot scrim that I use. And I use a lot in the studio. It's the, the translucent uh, sheet. Mm-hmm. But it also comes with a green screen cover for it. And so I've thought about that. The only time I would probably use green screen practically in my business, I was uh, thinking about using it in video production. Because, right. um, I mean, it's, it's a lot more valuable and it's a lot easier to knock out chroma key – in video, I don't think in stills it matters that much. Like, I just shot a job for the Chamber of Commerce, and they said they wanted one background. Then as soon as we got out there, they're like, oh, you know what? We changed our minds and wanted white. And I, it's not like I had another background with me when I went out there. So I just extra, and it was like a gray canvas. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, if you're going to be doing the – if it's that easy to do an extraction with something that isn't green, then it's certainly – I mean, is it so easy now to do an extraction with green screen that it is practically – your choice. Do you want to shoot on white or do you want to use green screen and reverse You're going to run into the same problem that you run into with uh, with white is that you're getting too much reflection. And that's what happens with the green. You're going to get a green cast around the outside of all of your people. Unless you get like seven, eight, nine feet away from them, you're going to get a green cast all around the outside of them. That's why I never use them because if I had control over the situation and I knew I had enough space, green screen would be phenomenal. If you don't have enough space, green green screen can be an absolute flipping nightmare. Really? Because I mean, What if you're not lighting it? Well, even uh, well, you are lighting something, right? And so you're putting a lot of light into the image. And if you don't light it evenly, there's no point of using green screen because it's really hard to extract. You need to get this. You need to get an even exposure all the way across the green, and that way you can eliminate it with one click, right? And so unless you're putting your subject six inches from the background, which they're going to get green on them, or you're going to put your subject eight feet from the background, you're going to. In which get, case, you, know, you can do white. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in which case you could just I, – so I just shoot on an unlit white background with a little bit of hair light and edge light just around the shoulders of the person to make sure that they you know, pop off it. And man, and I just pay somebody else to do the extraction because what the heck, dude? I'm not going to sit there and extract 100 photos. 
So it's like and uh, yeah, but that can cost you. It's like what two fifty for an extraction or something like that. No, Rebuku does headshots, uh, headshot extractions for fifty cents. Really? Yeah. Who's this? Rebuku. They uh, they uh, we talked about them on the show before. They do the sports banners for me, right? Yeah, they just added a service where they do uh, extractions for fifty cents. Okay, remember that from the next time that I ask you about it because I'm gonna, yeah, I will. Yeah, <laughs> fifty I mean, cents yeah, is that... a good rate. I think retouch ups two fifty. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a buck fifty for an extraction. It's a buck fifty for an extraction for a single subject. Okay. Yeah, extraction. Yeah, that's the. Uh, but uh, yeah, Rebuku just came out with a service where it's fifty cents. Okay, so, so uh, next bad. question you just led me into the, uh, that I had uh, a good question. Uh, hair light. Uh, watching setups from my friends who are older. Uh, I feel like there's a generational shift on the hair light. I feel like if you were over the age of 50, you have a hair light. And if you were under the age of 50, you tend to not have a hair light. Your thoughts, Mr. Hughes? I, I, uh, that, that what you just said is accurate. <laughs> I think it depends on the background, man. I just did a uh, – I mean, there's no like – this is the thing that irritates me is that people will come out and they'll be like, especially the older people get – the more set in their ways they become. Not all people, because I know I know people that are dynamic and interesting at all ages. But some people they get set in their ways, and they just go like, "This is the only way you should do a thing, and it's always supposed to be this way forever, or you're a commie." You know, I don't know. Like right. people just get so angry. Like I, I almost got like lynched judging at Tapa because I was like, I think digital matting for competition is pointless. All we're trying to do is replicate prints, and we don't use prints anymore in competition. So why are we digitally matting stuff? I thought it was and very man, brave of you, uh, and yeah. and I was uh, cheering for you uh, quietly under my breath the whole time because you be- would, yeah, you wouldn't say that out loud because no, I, no, man, no, co- I'll say it out loud, but I wouldn't say it out loud if I was up there sitting as a judge because you're speaking out against something that's fundamental to the competition. But yes, I am a hundred percent in agreement with you, as you well know. I think digital matting is stupid. Right, yeah, because it it's is. a photographic, it's a photograph competition. You're supposed to be judging my photography, not my ability to come up with a cool key line and drop shadow right, and like, all the no. So if you want to talk about presentation, then print it, you know, like. But otherwise, because you can still compete with prints. Otherwise, submit digital, just let it, the file be the file. But anyway, you know, and so I, uh, you know, and a couple of the guys in there, they were like literally ready to riot from the back of the room, and so. You know, uh, a hair light is if you're life touch and you have to do it on, you know, hair, you have to. Uh, but, you know, honestly speaking, in, in like more modern headshots, hair lights aren't used as much. But also, they're used very poorly. Like, a hair light isn't to put a golden halo around your subject's head. Here's what a hair light does. It can do two main things. It will provide a little more detail on the top of the head for somebody with very dark hair and keep your shadows from blocking up. Or it could, and it also will provide a little separation on the back. On a hair light, well placed with the right modifier, can also give you great separation on the shoulders. And I'll use it like a full stop, maybe a little more below the main light, so that it's like you should really just be able to see the outline of somebody. I just shot a hundred headshots the other day on a black background, and I'm not just gonna not separate them from the background and in that situation in the space I had, it's a lot more easier and economical to put one hair light at the top and let it spread out over the person's head and shoulders, hitting them kind of in the back of the head between the ears, than it is to have two lights, one on each side, giving edge light from both sides. It's like I can do this, I can do something, separate them from the background with one light. So it's just whatever serves the image, Yeah, man. but see, when it's you say like, that, though, when you say it, you say it, because I think a lot of people think of a hair light, they think of, they think of a top-down light the top of the head, but really what you're doing is you're doing a kicker from directly behind. 
<laughs> not directly above and behind. Above and, and so behind, it does... but still, you're hitting them in the back of the neck. It's 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 not meant not to, like you said. You're not really looking for the big the bright spot on top of the head. No, heck no. But I am looking to put detail in dark hair. And you know what? When somebody comes up and they got platinum blonde hair, I turn it off on the controller because you don't freaking need it. Right. You know. So uh, I mean, it's just whatever serves the image, whatever serves the thing that's sitting in front of you, whatever makes it look better. Not to do something for the sake of this is the rule and the way it's supposed to be done. Anybody who's like that, they have lost their creativity. They have lost their freaking way. You know, like that's as a creative, it's just you can't. That kind of ideology makes you not open to anything new. And it means that you're probably on your way down, sugar. You're going down swinging. Sorry, well, the, the kicker light is relatively new and in, in some ways because traditionally a portrait was always, you know, main fill hair. And then people started putting kickers in, and then people started getting rid of the hair. And then the kicker became the hair light, or the equivalent of the hair light. You know, they are one kicker, or in your, like you said, or two kickers. Or, you know, I'm just saying, I don't want to go shoot headshots and take five lights. Yeah, I go, I look, I look at a photo, I go, does it look good? Yeah, Hell exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does it look good? Good. You know, and the other people go, oh, you don't have a kicker on them. I'm like, I don't need a kicker on them. What do you need? Yeah, what do you need that for? It's a like headshot it's, for their email account. They're, it's it, good, and it's and it's better than than ninety percent of the headshots that they could have had yeah. shot. It's good. It's good. Does it serve it? Does it serve its purpose? Any whether you're shooting weddings or commercial architecture or food photography or babies in buckets, does what whatever you're doing does it serve its purpose? Does it meet your style and does it give you great image quality overall? I mean, it's just. Just stop being such a stick in the mud about stuff and go like, hey, does it look good? Yeah, that's really the ultimate thing. Is my client going to buy it? Yeah, okay. And is this a file that's, you know, have I created a file digitally that is going to be, um, that's going to print well or that's going to serve the final medium well? Like that's that's really all there is to it. So most of my files end up as email signature photos. So I'm not going to like, I'm not necessarily benefited by doing a 14 right. light setup to create an image that's 35 pixels by 35 pixels. It's just not... It's just not in the cards. At man. the same time, you do want it to be better than most. That, see, that's, that's not my hard. thing. I want no, to be better than most, but not per, not the best that there is. Because the best there's not much reward in being the best that there is when you're doing stuff when it's just headshots for email and stuff like that. But there is reward in being better than most because you will get more work that way. But the average person can't tell the difference between the hair light and three kicker headshot, and you know, the, and so for an average job, you don't need five lights. Yeah, I mean, I see stuff that people do that looks crazy, but it ends up turning out looking great, you know, in the final image and vice versa. Just, yeah, God, you just work on your own stuff and leave everybody else alone, man. That's, I'm just, that just people, you just know the fuddy duddies when you see them. You're yeah. like, all right, yeah, you're not going to be around a whole lot longer. You keep, you keep doing your thing, Grandpa, you know. <laughs> like, speaking, no of, uh, speaking of competition, uh, the districts are open. And as you know, yes. I've been spending uh, the last week agonizing over my files. Yeah, because you're messaging me about it every day. I would think you would appreciate that. Here's what I here's what here's what here's what upsets me, Gary, is oh, that boy. all of my friends have been giving me a hard time for years because I've been so vocal and so critical and such a stick in the mud and oh, about competition. And now I finally have put all that behind me, and I finally am totally objective and just like, hey, we're playing the game, and we're just, what do you think about this, and what should we do? And I don't get mad, I don't get irritated, I don't get anything. And all of my friends have abandoned me. They're like, I don't have time to help you with your case. You don't get mad. Or irritated, apparently. I don't. I get mad. Uh-huh. No, I'm mad. At, I'm mad at irritated at you. I'm not mad at irritated at the competition. <laughs> well, look, look, look. First of all, have I? I haven't failed to respond. I've been there, and, I, and I would think you would enjoy it. I thought. I thought you would enjoy. Uh, you know, you're always like, show me your pictures. Show me your pictures. Well, don't you enjoy? I it? am. I am. I am enjoying it. I'm just. I'm. I'm. Uh, 
I'm always amused by the amount of emotional effort you put into it, either obsessing about it negatively or now that you're all in, like obsessing about it, like going in. And so you're everything that you do is you're going hard in the paint with everything that you do. <laughs> so there's like there's no middle ground. It's like, oh, I'll send a couple here. So. Let me tell you, that's not true because if I if if I don't go hard in the paint with this, then I catch I catch it from my friends for that as well. Because I have other oh, wow. friends who when I'll go, you know, I'm just gonna put this one like, you should fix this, you should fix this. I'm like, I'm just putting it and then they get mad at me for not trying hard enough. So I'm like and, and so when I, but the problem is I got a whole I got like twelve wedding images and I gotta pick four and it's the first year. And so we're like, hmm. right, so so catching up any listeners who aren't uh, the the international photographic competition was happens once a year usually in August. There are districts to this uh, where you basically you get a you get a, a, an early swipe at the apple. You get feedback from the same pool of judges, and then you can win awards and stuff in there. But you can also uh, get that feedback, change some stuff around, maybe even swap images out, and then send it on to the international photographic competition. So it's basically getting like a, a minor league warm up to the main competition. And this year, for the first time, PPA has added a wedding competition separate from the main photographic competition that goes towards a whole separate degree and da 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 da. so and this is why we're having this conversation right now right because now for the first time i have to enter energy images into the wedding competition instead of the wedding category of photographic open and yeah i I think a lot of people people who aren't wedding shooters would just say well you know just you know do it the same way you would have done it in the past putting it into the wedding category to which i say if that's the case then there's no reason to have this degree in the first place there needs to be some sort of difference in how you would pick what goes into this wedding degree versus the old one that's why we have this wedding degree we created this wedding degree because we felt that it that it needed to be somewhat different and so therefore there should be some new consideration by the for the entries that you put in but because it's the first year and we haven't seen how it's going to shake out yet we really don't know what that consideration is going to be and there's no one who can tell us what that consideration is going because no one knows how many people are you sending images to and getting feedback? I have sent it to one, two, three, four, five. I've sent it to five people. All of them are affiliated jurors. But not wedding qualified, so they won't be judging the wedding. Uh, mm, well, you. you know, you, I'm not wedding qualified. No. But you could be. I'm just saying. You're, you're a wedding shooter. You could no, be. No, but I don't have the official qualifications. I, am a, I can right. only judge photographic. There's a, no, there's a couple who I haven't, but there's a couple who I have. Uh, who are wedding qualified, and I give and I give them more weight because uh, they're people who shoot weddings, and you have to shoot weddings to judge that competition, and therefore I give their opinion more weight because they will be looking at it with a little different eye. So, um, how how late are you staying up? Oh, I'm not at all. I'm revisiting it. Like I'll look at it for like ten or fifteen minutes, and then I'll just go away and I'll go do something else, and I'll come back from from time to time, you know. But it's uh, it's I, because it's fun. You know, isn't it fun? I mean, I, that, yeah, there's it, no point to do it if it's not. Yeah, really. You know, it's yeah. it's fun to be try and figure out what's going to work and what's going to put in. And here's the thing, though, and is and I, I mentioned this before we went on the air. Um, there's a part of me that wants to really push the boundaries. There's a part of me that wants to go. Okay, you know what? Here's some pictures that I have always thought should do should merit as a wedding, and they never have. And so now I'm putting them into this wedding competition and to, and challenging you to merit them as they should be merited. Okay, that's that's one angle. 
right? The, the defiant angle, the, the, the look, these are the kind of pictures like, you know, like uh, some of the photojournalistic stuff and things like that, like the garter catch, which you and I both love. And I've had, I had a, one other person, I had one other person go, uh, no, like a hard no. Like when, when, I, when I mentioned that picture, it's a picture that I have, one of my pictures, which is a bunch of guys trying to catch a garter. And, and, and she goes, no, oh God, no, no. <laughs> and both of you feel like, both you and I feel that that's a picture you should go in. So that's the sort of feedback you get and you go, ah, I don't know. Ultimately, here, here it is. Wrap it up. When it comes to competition, you get as much feedback as you can, but you got to go with your gut. Right. Because the point is not to have judges tell you what you should put in. The point is that you need to learn on your own what it what you do that will be successful when you put in, and that's the entire process. And so get, picking the wrong images when your gut is telling you to pick those images is fine. That's part of the process. And so you learn by getting whapped on the nose you learn by getting your teeth kicked in and over time you get your teeth kicked in less often but you'll never stop getting your teeth kicked in but eventually you get it kicked in less often and what sucks though is because this is the first year i don't have the six years of getting my teeth kicked in experience that i have in the in in open so it's not such a big problem in open because i've got six years of experience getting my teeth kicked in and so i've learned from those kicks but now i have to start over fresh yeah. Nothing like getting your teeth kicked yeah. in for the first time. It's like it's like it's like it's like it's my first year competing all of a sudden, you know. Because, yeah. and that's what and that's the position that's weird. You're as nervous as a schoolboy. Look at you. Uh, I'm not nice. I, I like I said, I can't decide between do I just go with the four that I think are the safest, or do I go with the four that I think are the I want to push the boundaries and see if these will merit. Because if I do that and then I go O oh, for four, it's so just going to be what embarrassing. You're saying is I want to put in images that are less good. Just so that I can be justified in being angry later? No, no, not less good. Images that I think are absolutely as good or better, but that will not be rewarded over an open. But I feel should be rewarded in wedding, and therefore I'm going to put them in here. Do you want to play the game, or do you want to grow as an artist? Here's the problem. I don't know what the game is yet. That's my point. See what I'm saying? We won't know until after this year. We really won't know until like year three what the game is. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I looked at all those images. I don't think any of them are safe. <laughs> None of them are safe, right? Yeah, they're I all. Mean, they're all. If, if at the I'm very just best, waiting 82. for the inevitable meltdown afterwards. The conversation we're going to have when you go zero for four. That's what I'm saying. That, but see, that's what makes it such a big deal. Is that is it so hard to merit in the first place that you ha- you really have to think about it? It's not like you can go. Well, I got uh, you know I got like these could be this could be a ninety, but this could be an eighty-five. No, it's this could be an eighty-one, and this could be a seventy-nine. So that that makes that makes it so tough when you're on the fence like I am all the time. It makes it really hard to pick your images. Well, so if you at this point, if you are just bursting at the seams to join and find out what uh, what this is all about, you can go to ppa.com/events. And uh, if you go into the events tab in the main menu and then go under photo competitions, all that information is in there. All of it about the awards and degrees and the different competitions. And if you click on district photo competitions you will find out that the registration had opened on april 8th and the deadline for early registration is may 8th and then you have the deadline until may 22nd to enter but it will incur a late fee and the judging dates are from june 2nd to 7th and so it's going to be uh it's going to be a blast uh all of us are going <laughs> to all of the people that are talking to boo right now are going to be dealing with uh dealing with a lot before and after hopefully everything goes well and then we won't have to have a whole episode dedicated to Bure 
entering the wizard state, <laughs> <laughs> going into meltdown. You're having a having a having a whole meltdown, dude. Last year at IPC, I did not do very well. I think I merited one out of four. And yeah, I had yeah. I was on the phone with you when it happened. It was not pretty, oh, my friend. It was yeah. not pretty. You yeah, you, yeah, you can I, make fun of me all you want to, but you were you were hot about it. Yeah, but then you get mad, and then you get sad, and then you feel like you're you suck, and then you get mad again, and then you accept it. Well, it's like that's so like you... the seven states of grief, and we have the seven states of image competition. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we have to go through. You have to go through all the seven stages of an image competition of your results. Absolutely. I shot a wedding. I shot a wedding on four twenty at four twenty. Oh, of course you did. Yeah, at four twenty on four twenty. Uh, so you know, no sunset on the beach. And uh, it was a biker wedding, so you know they were all bikers, all older, uh, much older crowd. Uh, and so a lot of spandex and uh, plastic helmets. A lot of, a lot of biker, uh, biker people, all Harley riders. Oh, bikers! Biker. Not what cyclists. do you think I said? Like cyclists, you know, no. like they do it for health. <laughs> no, 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 biker. That would be a oh, cyclist. Gotcha. That's a cyclist. A biker is a motorcycle, and a cyclist okay. is a bicycle. Okay, just checking. And um, and, but and here's what occurred to me though, looking at all these people, uh, for a group of people who have traditionally been about nonconformity. They all dress exactly the same. Yes. <laughs> We're not going to be like you. We're going to be over here and dress exactly like everybody yeah. else. There's like no over biker over. who shows up in, you know, spats and uh, knee socks and a, you know, whatever. Every biker is dressed exactly like every other biker. Leather Because chap, they're nonconformist, Gary. They're nonconformist. They, they break away from society and then they all make sure they dress exactly the same. There's the uniform, uh, leather vest, Harley Davidson yeah. T-shirt, jeans, leather chaps, boots, ponytail, uh, possibly scarf. Uh, Got to have the scarf possibly on the head. Got to have yeah, a scarf. Possibly, yeah, yeah, scarf on the head, totally. Yeah. And then you can't wear the full helmet, man. You just got to wear the half shell helmet because right. it's way cooler. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I just thought that that was interesting. That the the bastion of American nonconformity is a motorcyclist, a biker. You know, they go their own way, the open road, wind in my hair, and I'm not going to conform to you old man and your old man ways, and what am I supposed to wear again? How should I dress? I want to be sure I get the exact right clothes. (laughs) (laughs) And the only allowed to wear black and orange. Yeah. And that's it. I want to be the guy who's in a biker band and and a a, a biker club and wears like a suit. (laughs) You know? You know, it's almost like joining a monastery, except in this monastery, you're allowed to get drunk and have as much sex as you want. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, four twenty on four twenty, and did not, and I didn't make the connection until it was pointed out to me. It's just not on my radar. Yeah, but not my radar at all. And I was like, yeah. I was like, why are they doing this so early? And the and the uh, clergy goes, well, they want to do it at four twenty on four twenty. The, the 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 clergy, yeah, the clergy, <laughs> the quote, in the black leather, and you know, a lot of yeah. a lot of vapes on the beach that day. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it you know, it's. I have absolutely zero objection to marijuana or the use of marijuana or recreational, medical or otherwise. I just think. All of the people I know and all of the experience I've had in my life, I've never seen anybody, you know, like smoke a joint and then go do something reckless. It's usually like this. That's right. <laughs> it's like, it's the meth heads, the coke heads, the uh, yeah. heroin addicts there's a reason, coming down. There's a reason that hold my beer is a thing and hold yeah. my joint is not. Yeah, hold my joint is not a thing. It's like, pass my joint so I, can, so I don't have to get up and come get it from you. <laughs> by the same token, though, you know, token. by the same token, you and I both know that guy from high school who was a big smoker and never sure. and never stopped and now he's in his 40s and, and he works for Google and he just seems to be a little slow. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, you know the guy who's never quit smoking and and he just 
he seems like he's a little mellow all the time. Just you know, you know, and he's got like a dead end job, and and he's just like, uh, you know. I feel like recreational that stuff is fine, but you meet very few people who just keep doing it through their whole life without you being able to tell within five minutes of meeting them. Oh, you smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my uh, all all of the latest research on these sort of things say that it's it's pretty much harmless after you're you know after a certain age. You really want to stay away from this until you're around probably 25 years old. It has to do with your brain development. But dude, I also know guys that like smoked weed like crazy in high school, and now they're like working for Amazon and stuff. Like right, but just, are they still smoking weed? Uh, probably occasionally, but I don't know. I don't ask. I don't have like right. a Facebook, I'm not, I'm not Facebook group for smoker. the daily smoker who gets to the point to where they're just pretty much always high. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know that oh, guy. Yeah. You oh know. yeah, and you can. Spot but that them. same person would be an addict with almost any substance. Right. You know what I mean? I just think that you know whatever. I, it's so like I have so so little experience with it, but I have so little experience with like people doing terrible things while using it. It's just sort of like right. we, if 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 that's what that guy's going to be, and he's going to how oh, here here's the real question: How many people that you know, with, with the exception of one category, which would be people who work for the government who get drug tested on a regular basis? Um, how many people do you know really want to smoke weed but don't because it's illegal where they live? Oh, plenty. You yeah. know, a lot of people. If that it was, want if it was, smoke- I would probably smoke weed if it was legal. Yeah, I don't would smoke. Really? I, I drink all the time, but I would. I don't smoke weed because it's illegal. But if it was legal, I would. I would definitely try it. I mean, I tried it in you, high school and stuff. Okay, you would try it. How many marijuana users are like not using marijuana because of the law? Almost none. Right. Almost none. Right. What, what you're saying is the law doesn't stop people from using. No, weed. anybody who wants to be smoking weed is smoking weed, right. except for somebody who's like they got a job at uh, Northrop Grumman. And it's they got government right. clearance, and they actually do get drug tested on a regular basis. That guy's like, oh, I make two hundred and fifty k a year, so I'll go ahead and I'll just not smoke weed right now while I'm. But I will. But I will knock back five martinis. Yeah, and <laughs> as no soon problem. as I retire, I'm moving to Washington State. You know, but any anyway, hey, we didn't. Uh, we got a, we got some stuff we got to talk about big in photography news this week. Photography, photography news. news. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here we go. Um... First of all, big, big announcement. Uh, Nikon posted a video on its Nikon Europe uh, YouTube channel that says iFocus, iAutofocus, is coming to the Z6 and Z7. And so this was one of the most disappointing things when that Nikon and Z6 and Z7 came out and they were announced. So they did not have iAutofocus, which Sony has, which Canon has, which Fuji has. And so apparently it's getting added in a firmware update to be released on May 16th. And so that's coming up. And uh, so they released a 14-second like preview video, sh- video to show you how it would work. And uh, it looks pretty good. I uh, don't know why, but I wouldn't think that that would be the sort of thing that you could just download and put into a camera. But, but then when I think about it, yeah, I guess you, don't, wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to have a special piece of hardware in your camera for right. iFocus. It's all software. Right. So I guess they can just firmware update it. But for some reason, I wouldn't have thought that was something you could do. Like I would think if a camera doesn't have iFocus... It's never going to have iFocus. You've got to wait for them to put out one that has iFocus. This will be one of the most popular firmware updates probably ever released. Oh, yeah. God, yes. If I had that camera, I would love – oh, I'd be so excited. I'd be yeah. over the moon. Yeah, so that's that's actually pretty good news for people who were Nikon users that d- doubled down and bought into that mirrorless system. And that's a huge disadvantage compared to the other systems. And so that's going to be a really nice upgrade for, uh, for our Nikon friends. Uh, incidentally, uh, let's talk about – speaking of things that are not a big upgrade – 
Color Checker. x uh who makes the Color Checker Passport, which I use. I love it. I have it. Uh, it they came out with now the x Color Checker Passport 2. They have... Uh, they have uh, right. And um, so I checked this out on F-Stoppers and the... Um, Regular contributor Usman Dawood uh, posted a review about it, and he goes through this like ten-minute video. And for the first eight minutes, he's talking about how great a color checker is and how everybody should own one. And he's and he's reviewing the color checker too. And at the end of the video, at about nine and a half minutes, he's like, "Yeah, but if you already have the first one, you shouldn't buy it because it's just pretty much the same thing." <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you have one? What do you use for white? I do not. I do not have one um, because uh, they're kind of expensive. Aren't they? They're about eighty bucks. Yeah. Um, the other thing is though that they do come with um, they do come with the software that you can download those profiles and create custom profiles in Lightroom. So it's not you're not just buying the plastic color checker device. You're buying the software too that enables you to make all these cool custom color profiles. And actually, if you watch the video, and I'll post a link to it on the Facebook page, he shows you why you should use one. He takes a woman out in a bright red dress. And then mm-hmm. he just pulls it in and using the Adobe profiles in the camera and in Lightroom. And, he, and the dress looks orange. It's like that's how it will render colors like this. And then he flips over to the color checker passport profile and it turns red and it's the color's great again. So Right. Um, and the the pass the color checker passport is that, that it opens up and it's got like every color in it. Well it's and got you a take a pic you take a picture of that and that way the right or Right. It's got a gray card in, so you can just do it for custom white balancing, but it's also got another side to it where it has all these different colors, a whole range of colors that you can use to create custom profiles with those Lightroom plugins. So it's actually a pretty it's a pretty rad little device. That almost doesn't need an update. Like they have versions that include color checkers and stuff that's better for video and things like that. But like this will be filed under our our favorite segment, something that things that don't need to exist. <laughs> right. The color checker passport too. I mean, how do you really improve that? It's a you know, it's just a it's a color grid. <laughs> yeah, it's a you know, maybe update to the software or something. But yeah, right. I don't. So it's yeah, you go ahead and buy one, and and uh, and and anybody anybody who gets one, please let us know uh, if there's a difference. Do those uh, sure do those uh, do you say it works in, for Lightroom? Right, presets for Lightroom. What about Bridge? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, because I, I don't use Lightroom. I think yeah. Now I do a little bit for tethering and stuff, but not really. So uh, if you've got more experience with that, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email, questions at photobombpodcast.com, or join our community on Facebook, where we get a lot of feedback. Uh, like the following feedback I'm about to read right now. So on last week's episode, Bure really screwed the pooch, and uh, we talked about the difference in weight between the uh, Fuji and the Canon system. And then, so, Michael Honkamp writes in, he says, Amazon may not be the best source for specs. X-T3 with a battery and memory card is 539 grams, uh, which is 1.1 pound, not three. So, uh, basically, so we're having to make a retraction right. there. So, Bure, would yeah. you like to make the official retraction? Yes, Amazon was wrong. That's, my, that's my retraction. I, I was not wrong. I simply read what was on Amazon. Wait, so. you can't pass wrongness on to the fact that you didn't double check your sources of information. Why would I have to? Why should I have to double check my sources? It's Amazon. It's got a whole list of all the specs on the camera. If, why if wouldn't you, go you believe out that? And tell your audience something that, like, check out this thing that I have discovered <laughs> okay. that is true. Yeah, because you, yeah, because you and I are so detailed into, into making sure that everything we do is. Exact. And then you blame yeah. your inaccuracy <laughs> on, on your get, crappy get the source. fact checking department in here, Gary, for the podcast. Let's bring those girls, those girls in here. They do such a great job of uh, double checking. 
checking our articles before we put them on the uh, podcast. <laughs> you can't just do bad homework really? and then blame How much it on the homework. did you do into, uh, into marijuana before your little rant of five seconds ago? That's like saying my homework <laughs> ate my homework. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm saying, oh yeah, I'm saying, hey, all I know is what I saw it on Amazon, and I said I said it here. That's it's like writing a, big, a you know, terrible paper, turning it into school, and going, well, I guess my sources were wrong. And then you can't. You're still going to get it. Yeah, out, homie. absolutely. If I do a term paper and I turn it out, I've got a note card, and they say that's wrong. I go, well, here's the book where I got that information from. I can't be blamed because that book is wrong. Or, or you got the information from your grandmother's blog. Like, <laughs> oh no. See, now I can blame. I can be blamed for that because that would not be seen as a reliable source. But I would think that the specs listed on an Amazon page would be a reliable source because I would expect that they would pull those straight. Well, I would expect that the manufacturer provides those. Well, now you know. Yeah. So I don't know what that was. So I don't know how that they could have had they could have had that weight wrong when I when I'm sure the manufacturer provides all that stuff directly to Amazon. All right. So uh, anyway, so Michael goes on further to say, I I said thanks for the correction, and he said, sure thing. Don't mean to come off like an internet troll with that, but I about spit out my coffee while I was driving. I shoot an XH1, which I know is under 1.5 pounds. Uh, so uh, basically, uh, the guy is like he knew from experience. So. Um, we're sorry, Michael, and for everyone else who really covets the weight of their Fuji. Um, but I can tell you this. When you pick up the Fuji, no lens on it, and you pick up the Canon, no lens on it, they don't feel like they weigh that much different. So here, here's what I wonder. I wonder if the battery is a big factor because the I, Canon battery is a brick. That's a big chunk. I have no idea. So I wonder if that's what it is. You put the battery in the Canon, maybe, I don't know. I couldn't. I, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that you were wrong, and that I'm I, enjoy, yeah, and, no, I, and, and that I'm enjoying it. I know you. Are, I know you are. It's so rare. Okay. So Scott Lords writes in uh, in response to me talking about being uh, alone, uh, being a single parent for a week while my wife goes on a trip with her sister. He says, "Hope everyone survives your wife's trip, Gary. Try this mac and cheese recipe." <laughs> he posted, <laughs> and uh, so apparently this is from his family's blog. I really appreciate that. I'm going to give that. A, I'm going to give that a whirl because uh, mac and you cheese. Fact is, check that. You better fact check. Fact check. I'm going to fact <laughs> fact check the list of cheese. <laughs> Make sure. Uh, hey, by the way, my Fuji. I uh, I gave him a call and I said, "Hey, where's my Fuji, guys?" Oh, the updating the saga of the Fuji yeah, repair, right? The Fuji repair, and I called them and I said, "Where's my Fuji?" And they said, "We sent you an email like three days ago. You didn't get it." Ah, okay. So there you go. I was wrong. They did get back to me very promptly. And the repair bill was <laughs> two hundred and eighty-one dollars with tax and shipping, about three twenty-five. Woo! Which is right, right where we called it, right where we said it would be. We said right around three fifty. So you're getting it repaired. Oh yeah, yeah. You have to at that price. Yeah, for three twenty five, I'm repairing that camera. I love that camera. I use it too much not to. For three twenty five, yeah. I can't. What What else am I going to do with that three twenty five? I'm not going to be able to. Even if I got the the uh, the other one that they make that I was interested in, it would come with no lens, and then you got to put a lens on it. The lens is going to cost you five hundred. So no. So it fell below the threshold of replacement. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The threshold was around five hundred. If it if it had come in, you know, if if the repair cost was going to be half the cost of the camera new. Hmm. That, you know, that's, that's where it starts start... to get uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. when it starts to get uncomfortable. All right. Uh, so John Burge writes in, um, enjoyed the discussion on same-sex weddings from last week. Keep leading the charge, Boo and Gary. So thank you guys for that feedback. Um, we got a little bit more in photography news from a company we don't talk about a whole lot, Tamron. Tamron. I had a Tamron lens when I first started. Me as well. Tamron unveils the 35-150 to f2.8-4 to lens for Canon and Nikon. So basically they're coming out with a lens that goes as wide as 2.8 
And uh, so it's a variable aperture, so f4. So worst case scenario, you're shooting f4. That's 35 to 150. Optical image stabilization. It's got some. Uh, it's got some really really neat features, and uh, and it's very compact. It looks like probably about half the size of a 70 to 200. So 35 wide to 150 in seems like a pretty killer lens for a working photographer to not have to change lenses a whole lot. They had one like that about uh, seven or eight years ago that got a lot of press from some respected photographers who were wedding shooters who said, "This is gonna. I'm going to start using this lens because now I don't have to swap." You know, and when are you shooting at full 150? When are you shooting at full length? Um, at f2.8 how often do you really do that uh, not often for me but here's the thing is they've had these you know massive telescopic variable lenses that photographers especially new photographers have been using for a long time they've had 18 to 200s and 28 to 300s that are very compact and uh the, the difference with this is one, uh, even though it's a variable aperture those other ones older lenses the variable apertures are always like f4 to f6.3 so right. basically, this is a much faster version of the same thing with a very useful range, 35 to 150. Is you could shoot a whole wedding, portraits all day, headshots, whatever you wanted, and you would never have to take this thing off your camera. And right. You, and you could still get the benefit of that 2.8 and f4 sort of like wide aperture. So we'll, I'll post a link to that so you can read about it on the Facebook page. So would this be something for you that you would use or maybe something more that you would buy for like a second shooter to use? Mm, that's a good question because I, I, many times I've gone back and looked at, at lenses like that and said, you know, um, one lens. I could I could work the, most of the wedding with one lens, and why wouldn't you want to do that? But the problem is I already have the very best 70 to 200 millimeter f2 lens that that is you know the most popular one you can buy, and once you've got that lens, it's hard to go back. You know, it's is there a certain amount of like when you see another photographer out? And they're shooting with the Tamron lens. Yeah. Is there a little bit of like, okay. There absolutely is. There abso- Here, here's the thing. Your zoom lens, um, it's not supposed to move. <laughs> when you turn the zoom, that, the, isn't the, the barrel is not supposed to come out like a pirate's glass. Lipstick. Okay, It's supposed to be, yeah, it's supposed to all happen inside the barrel because that's what a big, good pro lens does. And I know that's stupid. But but yeah, that once you get the, once you move to that sort of a lens, it's hard to go back to the lenses that look like the lenses you used when you first started. You know, I mean, and you've got a lens that costs two thousand dollars sitting in your case there, and it does a great job for you. And if you switch, all you're really going to gain is that you don't have to swap lenses anymore. And seems, how often do you swap? Seems pretty advantageous for somebody who shoots on the beach a lot to have never have to. I, change believe me, I've thought. Believe me, I have absolutely thought about that for that very reason. Put one lens and go. Um, my question is, how sharp is it, though, up around f6, f8? Because that's really where, you know, getting an f2.8, like you say, you're shooting at full zoom, you're probably not at f2.8. But having a wide open lens at f2.8 at full zoom, zoom is, usually means your sweet spot is going to be about three stops higher than that. So uh, would you ever buy this lens? Uh, I think if both of my 7200 millimeters were to break tomorrow... Then yeah, I would get one and try it. Because <laughs> I've done that a lot, haven't you? I mean, I've done a lot where I've where I've go. Well, I've got to have f two point eight all the way through, and then I look at a wedding and I don't shoot a single picture at f two point eight the whole time. So guess how much this lens is price wise? I'm gonna go twelve hundred, seven hundred ninety nine dollars. Oh Jesus! See eight hundred dollars. Yep. Pre order uh, available now. Seven hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah. 
I don't know what their quality is like now. I mean, I, I had a Tamron before, though. Not when great. you felt it when it was in your hand, and, you, and it was it felt plasticky, and it felt you know. Plasticky, not a word. I don't plasticky. Think, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, it didn't feel. It didn't feel. You know, substantial. But when you're talking about almost a third, almost a third of the yeah, almost a third of the price of of a Canon. I mean, yeah, I think the tw- the seventy to two hundred is a three thousand dollar lens. So, and you could get a thirty five to one fifty. That's two eight to f four image stabilized the whole nine yards. I would. Hi- you know what? If I had more associate shooters, it, it, for example, uh, you know, I have Kelly who shoots headshots for me a lot. And she shoots Nikon. I was like, if I need her to have the right range sure. lens, I I I buy that lens. Well, we're also not we're also not discussing the fact that it's thirty five to one fifty. So it's not what I've got, which is twenty four to two hundred. But, but wait, between two different lenses, and it's, yeah, two lenses. But that that ex, that twenty four to thirty five makes a difference, and one fifty to two hundred definitely makes a difference. You know, in your reach. So that's a consideration as well. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so keep an eye on stuff like that for you guys. You know, Post I think, link no, I think no matter what you get, you'll figure out a way to work with it, though. Um, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, you get used to the lenses that you have. It's not a matter of being better a lot of times. It's just kind of what you're used to or what you like. So there you have it. Um, okay, so I think we're, uh, we probably need to wrap this up. Just one touch on one more story um, in digital trends. The, uh, the, the Dutch are very upset that uh, people are tromping on their tulips. To take selfies out in the field, so uh, and Dutch they should farmers, be, yeah, absolutely. So th- we've talked about stuff like this before with the selfie sticks and and museums banning selfie sticks. People just don't have some people. Some people just don't have the the common sense to go, hey, I'm probably going to destroy this thing by doing this thing that I want to do just to get a stupid selfie with it or whatever. And so uh, yeah, I'm, uh, that we'll post a link to that story too. We got these fields of fields tulips is like this a big deal in the netherlands and so you know you have fields and miles and miles of it and people will just go tracing through and crushing them uh and and it's not like they're there just to be pretty like they sell these these are a product these are a national product and so people are going through to try and get the perfect selfie angle or whatever and so there's a guy there's a guy with an instagram account uh dedicated to preventing that sort of thing because right now in, in california or Oregon or someplace like that, they're having like a, a huge, I want to say blue bonnet or something that's like only happens once every so many years. And they've got these huge fields of them and they're beautiful and everyone's going to see them and they're stepping off the trail to get that selfie or laying down or etc. And he is finding these pictures on Instagram and posting them on his Instagram and pointing out, hey, you're destroying this nature by doing this and he's catching a lot of flack from the people that he's calling out but then a lot of other people are coming to his side because because you know he does a whole thing where he points out someone will go i was on a trail no you weren't on a trail you were what you were you was you stepped off the trail into a spot where you saw someone else had beat down a path through the blue bonnets and so you assume that since someone else walked in there on that path that you can walk in there and the next person does it and the next person does it and the next thing you know we have a trail and he has these overhead shots of these fields where you can see this big trail that goes around around the field so you can see and then just a spider web of tracks just destroying the inside of the field where people just keep walking in and on the same path on the same path until eventually it's you know it's not what it's supposed to be and you're destroying nature so yeah it's hard i mean i'm on the beach all the time i and I'm follow that-, that instagram account it's at the lorax official <laughs> that's the one i speak for the trees he used to speak for the trees he's more of a flower guy now yeah he's more of a flower guy now yeah. uh, i get that on the beach where uh you know there there's a spot where don't go in don't go in where the seagrass is and and 
and I won't, I won't. If there's if there's the fencing or the sign that says don't go in the seagrass, I don't go in there with a, with a couple. Now, if there isn't, I'll go. But if it's posted, I don't do it. Yeah, man. It's just so uh, while you're out there, guys, I know that it's probably not our listeners, nobody who listens to this show. If you're going to go out there sure. to get that shot and something's real important to you, like just use a little common courtesy. It's not a bad idea to maybe to find out if there is a procedure to do it so legally and safely and with permission and things like that. Because, man, I'd be tempted to take a model out into that field and do some photos. But, uh, you know, we want to make sure that you're uh, – be courteous. And, and as always, stay away from train tracks, dummy. Uh, yes. Because, you know, how many, how many of us have to die that way? Bunch of dummies. <laughs> All right. Are we, are we done? You know what? Yeah, I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. It's that time. Uh, all right. Uh, don't forget, uh, you can find us online. All you have to do is go to facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. Uh, our website is photobombpodcast.com. Gary's at hughesfioretti.com. Yep. I'm at bureperry.com. And you can email us questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you next week. See you later. Mm-hmm.